a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Happy New Year and welcome to episode 81 of the Say the Damn Score podcast, which also happens to be the first episode of 2019. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business. This episode was recorded in the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score studio in the spare bedroom of me and my wife's townhome in Burnsville, Minnesota. Today's guest is Len Clark, former Indiana Sportscaster of the Year as voice of the Evansville Aces, former sportscasting professor and academic, as well as a sportscasting entrepreneur who makes a living through podcasting, consulting, and audio technology. Len, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation, and thanks for coming on today. Hi, Logan, and uh, thanks for having me. So one of the things that I read about you before that I want to just start with is that your first radio job that you got, you just walked into a radio station and said, I'd like a job. H- how did that was go? Was a YouTube video floating out there? <laughs> no, no, it's not a YouTube video. It was just an article. Well, it's true. I was 18 years old. I had just graduated from high school, and I went down to drop a friend of mine off at school who started in the summer, and I didn't know what to do. And I was actually visiting my grandparents who lived in a town that had a radio station, and I saw a radio station, and I grew up in the Chicago area, exposed to the great uh, radio personalities and stations there. And I walked in, and I said, hey, I'd like to have a job in radio. And they said, are you serious? They actually needed somebody to run the board for high school football games. And that's how I cut my teeth. And, you know, sometimes it's just going back to throw everything, you know, everything you've learned about a job hunt. It's just go back into simplicity and being passionate, showing some enthusiasm and asking the question saying, I would like to. And that's what got myself in the door in this crazy industry. Did you want that just because it was a job and you needed to make money over the summer? Or were you hoping that that would eventually land into a career at that point in your life? Well, at 18, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I I didn't sign up for school. But I always knew I wanted to go to school. But I wasn't ready to go to college. And so I I worked in a small town radio station and did everything uh, from, you know, being on air to doing production work to helping the engineer at night do specs on the AM station because I was the smallest one there at the radio station in terms of weight. I climbed into the satellite dish to, to uh, replace an LNA unit. So it was a good experience. And I saved up some money to go off to school and fell in love with the educational aspect of it. But I always go back to the foundation that was poured at that small town radio station. And I could say that, you know, I've done everything from being the chief engineer to the chief cleaner that day. That is small town radio to a T. Sometimes you're the engineer, sometimes you're the janitor. Uh, other jobs as described is what uh, I always like to call it. But, you know, it was exciting because as a young kid, and this is, a, this is an ego business. And so being 18 years old, being in a new town, you know, kind of inventing yourself, 
And then you were out there doing remotes at the county fair or doing a ball game. You know, it really, in some ways, you were a local celebrity. And uh, that kind of fed into saying, I really like this. And as, of course, as you progress through your industry, you learn about being humble and all that. But it was a great experience for me. And, And the best thing that I learned was just it was at a time I was still analog. It was before digital. So I, I speak analog with a digital accent now. <laughs> and we'll get more into the technology later because that's one of the areas that you really specialize in. But before we get there, I just kind of want to get your story uh, leading up to this point because you, I looked at your education on your LinkedIn and there's like 12 different schools that it says you spent some time at or have some piece of paper from. So education, obviously very important to you. I've talked to other broadcasters who, you know, maybe went to college and dropped out because they had a chance to get experience. What is more important, do you think, for a young broadcaster to get education or experience? You know, I'm a lifelong learner, and I would say it depends on the individual, but I was very fortunate to received degrees from five schools and to attend a number of continuing education programs that were paid as part of my work. But the one thing about a college education is that it shows that you've started something, that you've finished something. It also shows that you have some degree of knowledge and that you, you have some smarts to get through a college curriculum. But at the same time, if you look back at your own college career, Logan, you probably won't remember what you did in your English class, but you'll remember the friends that you made and how you grew as an individual. So learning to live with individuals, learning to communicate with individuals, learning different cultures. This is why I am still a big proponent of the brick and mortar schools, because we do have the online institutions that do a great job. But nothing, in my opinion, substitutes that immersive experience of going to a college. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons that we probably better not go into of why I don't remember what happened in English class. <laughs> but I think we've all had that at some point in our career. But after college, you eventually made it to, my understanding is your first big break was becoming the broadcaster at Evansville University in Indiana doing Division One play-by-play. Give us the Cliff Notes version of how you went from college to the voice of the Purple Aces. Well, once again, it's the academic route. I was teaching at a school in Kentucky, Kentucky Wesleyan College, and my, my master's thesis was developing a sports communication program. And so the University of Evansville was just located 40 miles away from where I was living at the time in Owensboro, Kentucky. And being from the state of Indiana, I wanted to get back into the state of Indiana. And so uh, the job that uh, I applied for was to be the, the station manager of the university's radio station. And at that time, the local commercial station had dropped all University of Evansville athletics. That's about the time that you saw a lot of schools that used to get a rights fee uh, paid by stations, that's about the time that you started to see that go away. So it was an economic decision made by the local broadcaster. And they said, well, the athletic department said, well, we've got a university station. Well, we'll just go and do that. And so they, they hired me because of the sports background, but they also had their own announcer at the time, a guy named Bob Buck. And Bob was Jack Buck's brother. And they thought that Bob could actually work with the students and, uh, that that uh, was an experiment, and the students came back and said, listen, we want to work with Len. You know, Len, we see him 24 hours a day. 
and uh, you know he's he, he's more of an educator as opposed to students showing up a game, watching a broadcaster, and then not getting any feedback. And so um, it just tied in with my job, and we were very fortunate to do about 120 University of Evansville athletic events. Students were very tied into it. And so, as you said, I was the announcer, but if we had a student that was very good that year, then that student would be the number one announcer and I would be part of the team. And so it it was a great experience, but unfortunately it was also my demise at the University of Evansville. The more successful that we got, and a lot of it had to do with the technology. We were the first station in Indiana to start streaming audio via the internet, which enabled us to start broadcasting games to our alumni worldwide. The university started to see this, and then, you know, I'll be very kind here and cannibalized it and didn't want the students to be a part of it anymore. And that's when I said, you know, it's time for me to move on. I'm trying to build a sports communication program. Evansville was the perfect storm because we were doing professional baseball with an independent team. You had division one athletics and I was recruiting students. I had just completed a couple of academic programs to kind of reinforce that. I graduated as the first graduate of the university of Kentucky sports marketing Academy. And then the NACDA, the national association of college athletic directors, sports management Institute. And my project was, to create the sports communication course. And so the credibility was there. Unfortunately, you know, if you, if you're getting that kind of feedback from a university that is supposed to be helping individuals realize their dreams, I knew it wasn't the right fit for me. And that's why I left. I want to follow up on something you touched on in that last answer, where you mentioned that you built an online stream for Evansville. And that was I believe in the 1990s, so early on in the history of the early internet, on. it's one of the probably one of the first streaming broadcasts ever uh, in the first wave, anyway, for sure. Take us through making that decision, finding that as a viable option when nobody else really knew about it. Well, we weren't the first in the country. But uh, I, I do have some regrets, but we were an early pioneer. Is I learned about a company called AudioNet started by a guy named Mark Cuban. And I had wrote a grant and was trying to get the equipment to start streaming. And this was about the same time that the first website that I saw, the first website I ever saw was Stanford University's radio station. I was blown away. Now, I had been on services like AOL and Prodigy, and I saw the potential. But then when I first saw the World Wide Web, and I started learning about streaming capabilities and then being able to hear international broadcasters. I just thought this is, this is where we need to go. And so I actually got a phone call from Mark Cuban's company. They were trying to sell us to become one of the early pioneers on AudioNet. And I said, I'm very happy with where I'm at. Of course, AudioNet became broadcast.com, which was sold off for, I think, $5 billion to Yahoo. And it's one of those regrets that I have. But when we went with the technology back then called Zing Streamworks, which was the competitor of real audio. And my hands were kind of tied at the university because we were using their infrastructure. And so it took about a year for me to actually convince the university to do it. One was I got the money from a grant written by a company called Ameritech, which has been absorbed by some other telecommunications companies. But uh, it was the old VHS Betamax. Betamax was actually better in terms of quality. It was adopted by broadcasters, but VHS was more popular. 
So we went with Zing as opposed to real audio, but it was a, it was a positive step. But the, the most exciting thing is, is that we start getting emails during the broadcast from alums who lived in different parts of the world or students studying abroad because the university had a, a school that they owned in England. And just hearing from alums who hadn't been back to campus in 50 years, and they were actually listening to these games, it really elevated us and, and legitimized it. That's why I never use the word student media, because when you hear the word student media, it brings up a negative connotation. That's why I always told everybody it's university media. I'm a paid professional who works there. And if you get paid, you're a professional. So I always told the students it's a university station, not a student station. Who was maybe an example of a student that you had either at Evansville or Notre Dame or any of the places where you taught who went on to make it big. Do you have any of those? Well, define making it big. I've one of the most talented individuals that I had at the university of Evansville is a successful realtor in, in the Indianapolis area. So not many of the students went on into the media industry, but uh, the first class of students at the University of Evansville, I had a student by the name of Rob Blackman, who is now on the Purdue Network. And Rob, you know, just uh, really fought his way. He, he married his wife, who was in law school. He went down to Vanderbilt to Nashville and got a job at a radio station there and ended up doing games with Lipscomb's college and then she moved back to Indiana and he picked up the phone one day and called Joe McConnell and next thing you know Rob is hosting the pregame show the postgame for the Boilermakers and now he's the color announcer on both football and basketball. After Evansville where did you go? I know at some point you actually make it down to Lincoln Nebraska what in my opinion might be the greatest single city in the world uh the sea of red <laughs> and you were the well, baseball Announcer for the Lincoln Dogs. I did some consulting work in Indiana, but I took a job in Alaska, and I was contacted by a headhunter, and he said, "Len, you know, you know, you're you have a very eclectic background. I think you know you need to really take a look at this." And I'm glad I did. I only stayed there a year, but you know, I'm a city person, and I was in a town called Homer, which by Alaska standards is a big city. But uh, it was like stepping back in radio. It was like working with Marconi because radio was such an important medium. It was a utility. I mean, it was a life or death. People depended on the radio for the fishing report or the weather report. And we had individuals who lived out in the bush. And once a week, we would have our bush lines would say, hey, Bob, you've got a package at the post office or there's a phone call for you. Please come into town. So it really reinforced to me the power of radio. But using that, I said, you know, I want to get back and start following my passions. And as you said, I ended up in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is, as you said, a fantastic town. You couldn't have asked for a better town to live in. It's a college town. It's the state capital. And if you if you like the Huskers, I guess that's okay as well. But being a Notre Dame graduate and a fan being in that uh, area, it was a little difficult at times. But I have a true <laughs> appreciation for the Big Red. I'm, were you ever able to be a part of the nation's best sellout streak? I attended a few games. And uh, also, I did some freelancing with ESPN and uh, Radio Pennsylvania and some of the other schools that would come in. But, you know, it was the affinity when you when you go into Lincoln and you see the red and just the town uh, being invaded. And somebody told me, like, hey, if you ever want to rob a bank in the state of Nebraska, now's the time to do it during a game day. But I always had an ace up my sleeve, Logan, because you've heard of something called the black shirts up there. Yes. 
the black shirt black shirts was created by a Notre Dame guy. Boo hiss. And you'll have to go back. <laughs> <laughs> it was a guy named George Kelly. And he was a coach under Bob Devaney. And he came up with handing out the black shirts to the defensive unit or the individuals who were making the big plays that week. So if you go back in the history of Nebraska football, black shirts are a big part. Crossing the arms, like the skull and uh, bones. But if you take a look at the history of it, you have to attribute it to a Notre Dame man. Talking about Notre Dame, you obviously have an enormous passion with them. And while I think you're taking a brief hiatus from teaching and you're not directly a part of their broadcast, you're part of their media family. You do the Notre Dame Heritage Project. You do a podcast called Irish 101. How did you end up becoming involved in the Notre Dame scene of, of media? Well, it goes back to uh, creating the sports communication course. And uh, one of my idols growing up was Tony Roberts, longtime voice of the University of Notre Dame. And I was doing games at Evansville, but Notre Dame or Evansville dropped their football program in 1997. And so I had my football weekends off in the fall. And so I reached out to Tony and I was doing special reports for Westwood One. And then uh, getting back, moving to the area, it was just uh, getting credentialed once again and, and working with uh, ESPN College Game Day or Network Indiana or any of these outlets that were looking. But uh, I formed my own company back in 2010 called LTC Media, which is the parent company of Irish 101 and the Notre Dame Football Heritage Project. But I also work with Irish Illustrated. And so it depends on the day of the week and the time of day. I have various uh, responsibilities. And right now I'm doing something very exciting because over the past couple of years regarding the technology, I've spent a lot of time consulting in Ireland. And this year, we're doing weekly reports on Dublin City FM in Dublin, Ireland. We've got a very strong alumni base and a lot of interested individuals about Notre Dame football. And so every Sunday, I talk Notre Dame football on a program called On the Ball, hosted by Declan Hughes. And so now a little bit of an international component for the Fighting Irish. It's time to pause for a brief moment to talk to you about STAA. That is, of course, the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America, uh, owned by John Chelesnik. I want to tell you a little story of how STAA has helped me. When I moved to Minnesota, I had no job prospects. I just wanted to be in a major market and tried to work my way up and find jobs as I went. John Chelesnik gave me really good tips on how to cold call employers, both at radio stations, at colleges, at streaming production companies, and since then, I've picked up work covering high school sports. I've picked up opportunities to cover college sports, both at the Division II and Division III levels, and I've been able to make a lot of great contacts to a lot of different people because I was able to cold call effectively. STAA also helps you to become a better broadcaster with tools to improve your craft, and they also give lots of excellent strategies that help sportscasters at all stages of their career to find work in the field. Right now, if you sign up for STAA at staatalent.com slash score, or you can click at the sign-up sheet at the bottom of the webpage with the show notes to this podcast, and you'll get a free ebook, The Smart Way to Get a Broadcasting Job, a complete guide to cold contacting employers 
by John Chalesnik. This ebook spills all the juicy tips on how to make your cold calls land. It also helps to support this podcast because anytime somebody signs up for STAA through staatalent.com slash say the damn score, I get a very small commission to help support the site and continue to keep these podcasts coming. So if you're interested, if you're on the fence on signing up for STAA, this is the perfect time to do it. Please use the link at the bottom of the show notes or just type in staatalent.com slash say the damn score. And now back to the podcast. What is the sports radio scene like abroad in Europe where you spend a lot of time in Ireland? I know we've talked about this before where they broadcast some sort of Irish rules football. I don't remember the exact name of it off the top of my head, but how is commercial radio particularly in or I should say commercial audio particularly in the sports niche how is it different abroad than it is in the United States well the big difference in Ireland is that the national broadcaster RTE has the radio rights to the GAA games and GAA is hurling in addition to football now the commercial stations might have sports shows but RTE the nation's you know international broadcaster the national broadcaster, they're the ones that broadcast the games on radio. And I went over there to speak at a conference, the MojoCon conference, MojoFest conference in Galway. And one of the speakers was from GAA. And so I established a rapport with her and she gave me tickets to my first football game, GAA football game at Croke Park. And listening to it on the radio, I have to tell you, I have not heard a more exciting game than listening to both hurling and football. It's the same game same rules, except one is played with a ball and the other is played with a stick and a ball. But if you, I, I, I did post it on my Facebook site. I did post some highlights of the GAA football game. It's imagine hockey rolled into, imagine hockey with more scoring. That's the best way to describe it. It's exciting. It's their sport. And it's probably the best broadcast I've ever heard. Uh, as far as passion, uh, do I understand it? Not all there, but I have to say it's one of the top broadcasts I have ever listened to. And if anybody has a chance to listen to Irish hurling or GAA football, do it. One of the things that you really, really believe in is that as a broadcaster, you almost have to be a kind of an entrepreneur and you have to be involved you know, in sales and building your own brand and kind of taking control of your own destiny, so to speak, as a way to go through uh, this, this medium. How did you come up with that philosophy? And even though it's difficult, I guess, when do you think the right time to go entrepreneur is for a given person? Well, I wish I would have done it earlier is this is a great industry. You know, if I had to do it again, I told somebody I would do it again new challenges that are popping up, more competition. But the one thing that I saw was when you're hired by somebody, you know, usually you're going to have a boss or an organization. And in today's environment, you know, that radio station could be sold and you might be out of a job. And so I kind of felt that, listen, if I'm going to be entrepreneurial, if, if I fail, that's my fault. I don't, I was in a few situations where I was brought in the environment, the economic conditions, and 
things were not going the way they were promised. So I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be held accountable to myself. But one of the greatest tools that I was introduced to was a tool called, called DISC. And I took that back in the early 2000s. And it's a personality assessment, but it really opened up my eyes. And there are so many different applications. And I've actually incorporated it into the umbrella company that I have, LTC Media. It's under a company that I call Duloc Leadership. And I work with individuals and broadcast organizations uh, to introduce the DISC tool to not only help individuals better communicate with clients, but also to increase better group communication and just to get everybody on the same page. Because if you take a look at a lot of the problems out there in life, you know, you're newly married, you know, everything comes down to basic communication. So if you can understand the needs and wants and the communication pattern of somebody, you know, you, you, you've kind of, you know, given yourself, you know, a little bit of a head start. And that's the one thing that I didn't understand when I took this 360 as part of DISC. I found out a lady I'd worked with for 20 years didn't think that I liked her very much. But when she also learned about this, she understood my pattern. I'm a very high DI on the DISC scale, and she was a very high I. And so when I would get to work in the morning, the first thing I want to do is start the day immediately. And she was a person that was a, you know, uh, a very high I, which means that she needed to talk to people. I wanted to get to work. She wanted to talk. So what I did is to kind of train myself was I'm a coffee drinker. So when I would get a cup of coffee, I would make an appointment to go over and talk to her. And that changed the dynamic. And she goes, you know, I'm sorry. I said that I, that you hated me. And it's like, no, 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 it's great. Cause now we learned each other's communication patterns and I'm training myself to better understand how to communicate. And once you've taken disc or learned disc, you can walk into a, a room and you can kind of get an idea by the nonverbal and the verbal patterns of that individual to get an idea of what their disc pattern is to effectively communicate with them. And so in this industry, as you said, you know, you just can't be a play-by-play person. You know, you're going to have to have some other skills. And in this industry, a lot of it has to do with sales because if you don't sell the games, you can't do the games. And so introducing disc to sales individuals especially play-by-play guys, I think it will help them not only help them in terms of better communication, but also in terms of helping them to sell a product that they're passionate about and want to broadcast. Do you have an example of how using those principles specifically helped you outside of the office in kind of a subordinate relationship, but when you're out doing networking and talking to people in the field, where you were able to kind of read what they were looking for and build a relationship or make a sale or something like that. Well, as I told you, I took this back in the early 2000s and it was a tool I had in the tool chest, but I was over in Ireland consulting a commercial station and they wanted to kind of Americanize it. And I was like, wow, I've done a lot. What can I do? So I pulled out disc and you could see their eyes getting bigger and bigger. And it was like, we've never heard of this. And uh, one example I was working with uh, one of the girls down in Cork. It was a national broadcaster, so they had offices in Dublin, Cork, and Galway. And so I was sent down to to Cork. And here they thought this consultant was coming in trying to fire them. But then, you know, I sat back and I, you know, established a rapport and I asked this one girl to take the test. The next day when I came in, she goes, I took it twice. And I said, why would you take it twice? And she goes, I took it the way I wanted to be seen 
and I took it the way that you wanted to be seen. She goes, but I'll have to tell you, after taking it, I understand my, my boyfriend a lot better now, and it's helped my relationship. And I said, that's, that's the key. So I came back to the United States, and I contacted the RAB, the Radio Advertising Bureau. And I was very fortunate. I attended the conclave a number of years ago, and Erica Farber actually gave out a scholarship, and I won it that allowed me to do an academic program where I was introduced to DISC. And I called her on the phone and I said, hey, you know, I just had this great experience. And she said, Len, have you been in our office in Dallas? I said, no, I've never been to your office. She goes, well, how do you know that we're pulling out DISC in two months? So that's me a day late and a dollar short. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that the future of radio is changing. I just uh, had another a podcast that I recorded a, about a week ago with Trog Keller from ESPN, and he doesn't even call it radio necessarily anymore. It's becoming audio. What do you see in the future for sports audio? That's a very good question. That's why I really gravitated to the academic side where we can study issues like this, as opposed to being in the commercial world where you need to make that sales goal because it's a business. But I think uh, the individual that you talked to is exactly right. It's audio information. You know, radio is a term that we use right now. Broadcast is going back to the old farming days where we would broadcast seeds and, you know, get a crop. But I actually see the terrestrial signals being used to promote the on, on the online. So I'm a big fan of the smart speaker. I think it's bringing radio if you want to call that, back into the living room. And the new technology is hopefully going to attract a younger demographic. Now, as you know, I'm a radio guy. I will always be a radio guy. But when you take a look, especially at Notre Dame, the challenges that they have is that at one one time you could bring your radio headset into the stadium and listen to the game. But now with the satellite delivery, there's a delay. And there's probably a delay at the local station to cut off any profanities or what have you. But then you've got the artificial noise from the scoreboards being pumped in, so it's almost impossible to listen to radio. But radio broadcasts will be, always be around as long as they can sell it. It's much like local news at the local level. Why are they introducing 4 o'clock news and 3 o'clock news? Because they can sell it. But there's going to be a time where you're going to see start seeing a lot of the uh, marketing dollars being pumped from traditional radio network play-by-play into specialized radio, what you're doing on your podcast or new forms. With the technology now, we did an experiment a couple of years ago where we had a Notre Dame football player in San Francisco. I'm in South Bend, and we had another individual down in Florida, and we're calling the game. The technology is there. New forms with the technology you can cover across country meet, like the Indianapolis 500. And that's why I'm encouraging anybody at a school right now to experiment with the technology, go to a Concordia college in Minnesota, call that cross country meet or that invitational, like the Indianapolis 500, you're going to raise some eyebrows. So to answer your question, we haven't seen the potential yet because the people haven't invented it yet. We, we've had a conversation before that, that play by play itself, you think will change and become more interactive. And while I'm not totally sure I agree with you, uh, it's certainly an interesting topic and an interesting viewpoint. Uh, Just kind of 
relive that conversation that we had a couple months back and tell tell the audience what you told me then. Well, I have to relive our conversation, but it's let's use the play-by-play announcer like an orchestra conductor. I think, you know, the, the play-by-play guy was the symphony. He was doing everything. But now with the... the the wants and the needs of individuals. When you watch a game, Logan, you probably got your laptop and you're probably interacting on a chat room or messaging or doing something interactive while you're watching the game. And that's what I don't see a lot of people sitting back and just listening to a game. They're going to be doing something else and they want to contribute. They want to be heard. And so you know, there are experiments out there with, I think it's called barstool broadcasting where they want to make the broadcast sound like you're having a conversation at a local establishment. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I still think that play-by-play is probably going to involve to have more interactive elements and uh, even making it a pre, you know, if you're going to be online, it could be a premier type seating analogy where if you pay this much, then you'll be able to interact with the announcers at halftime instead of doing an interview show. Why don't we interview individuals to get their perspective of the game? And if they're paying customers, they bought the ticket for it. Do you see sports talk eventually turning into podcasting, for lack of sports a better? Sports talk is podcasting, in my opinion. What we're seeing, I'll give you an example, in Indianapolis a few years back. There was a change in the announcers. And so the play-by-play announcer was not calling the games, but he went, uh, their station didn't have the rights anymore, but he was doing a pregame and a postgame. And they looked at the ratings. More people were listening to him pre and post. And so what they were doing, saying, hey, join us before and after the game. And, you know, go watch the game somewhere or listen to the game, but come back here. And that's an interesting thing. So it's a number of different factors. It's the personality. It's the station. It's the rights fee. It's like I would love to get together again with the NSMA, the National Sports Media Association, and just have a big conversation and get the best and the brightest minds of everybody in the room to just offer their their comments and and get the ball rolling so that we can continue doing this. Well, while you're with the best and brightest, I'll be at the bar because I don't belong <laughs> well, in that I was circle. That would be very nice. That's where most of the great conversations at that conference take place, don't they? It really is. How? Let's talk about that conference, maybe not that conference in particular, but the value of networking into building yourself as an entrepreneur where you're not necessarily relying on a station or school to pay your salary, which gives you more flexibility. So it's a great organization. I'm a big fan of being within an affinity group to continue to learn. It's always great to go back and see you and the individuals that have formed relationships over the years. But I kind of view this industry right now is that we need to do something different. You know, I don't like the phrase think outside the box because there is no box. Kind of look at journalism and broadcast today like Uber. What can we do differently to compete with the established brands? And so I, I look at conferences now or to go to seminars that are completely different than what we do, but I might be able to take something back and apply it to our passion. And so I, I was just on a webinar the other day with Patreon, which is a way that artists and some broadcasters or, and podcasters are actually financing their ventures. And I sat back and I said, man, these guys are so far ahead of the curve and they're making a lot more money, the successful ones, 
than some of the radio stations that I am familiar with. It's, it's like the, the Patreon people are kind of like the YouTube stars and it's just experimenting, finding your niche, exploiting the niche and to give people what they want. And I think there are many opportunities out there. If you apply your academic training, your entrepreneurial training and your passion, you can blend all of those together in the perfect storm and get paid for it. You've won. Technology in media in general is constantly changing with the internet and with different forms of equipment, all kinds of stuff. Right now you can do just about anything you want on your smartphone. And one of the things I've been impressed with with you is that you know for a long-term veteran who's been a part of the industry since the 1990s a lot of those people kind of just get set in their ways and say I'm going to do it this way because I've always done it this way I mean I'm only 32 and I have a hard time keeping up with some of the technology but you're if not keeping up with it almost ahead of it at times what is it about technology that just lights your fire the way it does. Well, I have to go back. As I mentioned to you, I learned analog. So when I edited, we were editing with a grease pencil and a razor blade and reel-to-reel tape. And I've got the scars on my fingers. I was not very good at it. And so the first time I saw a digital broadcast application that you can use a personal computer to do your editing I was actually at the NAB radio show in Los Angeles in the early 90s, and it was just like an informational session of 10 minutes. I sat through it five times. And the first program I used was a program called SAW, and you might be familiar with that because it was one of the early audio, audio editing programs out there before Cool Edit. And that made me a better editor, a better broadcaster. And so I I, I always consider myself, I'm like a fighter pilot. I can fly the plane. I can't tell you how, it, how it's built, but it makes my job easier to do with the technology. But I've always uh, been a big fan of technology because it's a way to position yourself. When I started covering Notre Dame after coming back from Lincoln, I was using the smartphone. And a lot of people were like, forget Charlie Weiss. What are you using? Well, it's a smartphone. Well, tell me about this. I was becoming the story as opposed to the football team that day. And so that's how I kind of got known is especially Irish Illustrated. They would say, Hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. Do you agree with that? And that's how we've formed a relationship where now I do the Irish one oh one Irish Illustrated daily podcast to you know be have a better rapport with them. But I also do it out of fear because if we are complacent and we do it the same way, one day we're gonna get that call that the station is sold, or one day that platform is not going to be the preferred platform. We're going to have to find new ways of doing audio information. So I do it out of fear so that if that comes, then I'll have a safety net and I will be able to function. Do you have any examples of maybe a piece of technology that you've gone all in on that, that ended up going under or stopped working in the middle of a season or a broadcast Certainly, technology comes and goes, and it's hard to know which new systems to put your faith in. Well, that's why when we created a Patreon page, it was really trying to get individuals to help us to experiment, not only learn about crowdsourcing as a funding mechanism, but we would establish a rapport with these companies where we would experiment with 360 cameras and other forms of technology and cover the stories that way. And 
we going back now, you know, we find that the fans really like that 360 experience that I put on Facebook and the various sites that I work for to kind of get that immersive experience, what it's like to be on the field at the end of the game and have the players sing the alma mater. But uh, there are some technology I'm trying to think of that has kind of gone south. Mostly it's been just traditional, you know, microphones that don't work because of the phone upgrade. And I am excited because my new iPhone is coming tomorrow. And so I'll be able to cover the game for the first time and experiment with AR to actually do a report, you know, with a Len emoji now. So we'll see if that works. We'll experiment with it. It might go south, though. But uh, as far as the technology, it's, it's just finding what the fans want and then to use that to help them have a better experience. And I think that's our goal. What are some of the, you know, the apps or pieces of technology that you see coming up that you think many people are going to be using in the future? Well, when we were in North Carolina together a couple of years ago at the National Sports Media Association, uh, when we were together, the smartphone was just rolling out. The research that I saw is that we're getting near 45% penetration in the United States right now as far as the smart speaker. Do you have a smart speaker or do you know people who have a smart speaker in their in their homes now? I have one and I'm I actually don't have it plugged in because it annoys me that when well, I'm talking first, about I'm talking about things <laughs> I, I talk about step. things and it hears me when I don't want to when I don't want it to. So I just unplugged it. But I Well here's here's why I think the smart speaker one, it's bringing audio back into the living room. You know, how many people now, with Lincoln being the exception, when I was in Lincoln, I was just floored that people had radio, they, they were listening to at night in their kitchen. Now, they, they, they grew up on the farms, and that's what they did. And that impressed me. That's why Lincoln was such a great radio market. But I was at a conference a couple of years ago, and that's where I bought the smart speaker. I was like, yeah, I know about this, but I'll wait till the second generation. After seeing the presentation in Chicago, I walked across the street to Staples and bought one on the way home. But what I did, I was having a conversation with a German individual, and he was talking about his company covering German football. They have, they were working on the ability where, you're like me, when we're listening to radio, we listen to radio, that means the dial is continually scanning. Here you would put into the smart speaker your preferences or the home team that you want to follow. But if there was a, another game going on at the same time and there was a score, it would break into your broadcast go back and play that goal and then rejoin your broadcast. And I thought, Oh my God, that is, that is transformational. So imagine listening to college football. Okay. I'm listening to Notre Dame football. That's my preference. Or you're listening to Nebraska football, but you've also put in the other games that you want to be monitored on. So much like getting a text alert, but it's audio information now. So you put that in and next thing you know, you're getting Greg Sharp's radio call or Wyatt at Kansas State, or Grimm's call in Minnesota, or Don Fisher's call at Indiana, you know, constantly coming in. So it's a whole different, unique audio listening experience. And plus, you're probably watching the game at the same time on television. What are some of your broadcast horror stories? I ask this to every broadcaster <laughs> who comes on this show. It's one of my favorite things to hear are just those those times in your career where everything goes horribly wrong in a way that at the time seems awful, but you can look back and laugh at now. 
Well, I have a couple. I think I've actually shared them on the Save the Damn Scores website before, but a couple of them. You know, when I was first cutting my teeth at that first radio station, do you remember uh, working with Reel to Reel Tape? Remember a bulk eraser? I never worked with Reel to Reel Tape. I can't. Uh... Okay, but they, they, a bulk eraser would take it and demagnetize the tape. I, I did so see those. an individual who he, he had a, he spent his whole week putting together this halftime feature and i thought it was something to clean it up so i said well i'll just make it sound a little bit better and so i took the bulk eraser and i actually erased the halftime interview so when i went to play it it was and uh oh i learned the hard way they say experience is not making the same mistake twice and i became very experienced at working with bulk erasers but the other favorite story that I have, and I'm not trying to call out any schools or anything, but Evansville, when they were playing football, uh, they were playing in the Mid-South Conference. That means we would go down to Tennessee. And there was one particular school that we had problems with as far as phone lines. And it was always a hassle. So the season was going to begin on the road at this particular school site. So I called two months ahead of time and I said, we've had problems in the past. Is there a working phone line? I went out, I had just secured exclusive sponsorship, bought brand new equipment. It was the introduction of a Comrex hotline at the time. We were ready to go. We go and set up. There's no phone line. And sometimes my D will come out in the disc scale. And I told the individual, I said, where is the closest phone? Where is the closest phone? I will do reports until you get this rectified. Well, they never got it rectified, but the closest phone was across the football stadium at the goal line on the right side of the press box in the softball press box. I grabbed the equipment. We ran across the field. We had five minutes before kickoff. We hadn't started the program yet, and we're doing an hour-long pregame. The PA announcer is the softball coach. He bolts out, runs ahead of me, locks himself into the press box and let us in because I guess that's also his office. We had to call security. Kickoff is happening. The game is going on. We have no broadcast going on. They said they're going to break the door down if he doesn't open it. They have to break the door down, detain the individual. At the same time, they're without a scoreboard operator or a PA announcer. We got the phone line hooked up. Midway through the second quarter, I'm on the stairs, only able to see half the field. The student who is with me is down on the ground relaying me that I, things that I can't see, and that's how we call the football game that day. <laughs> no better way to, to uh, learn about the business for those students than seeing it firsthand. Well, the only thing I can remember is that the church across from the football stadium was having a barbecue that day. And it was a beautiful day, but all the barbecues were kind of fun, right on the football field. It reminded me of the Bears-Packers game during that fog ball game one day. And the only thing that we kept remember, uh, kept saying on the air is like, the players are hungry today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, everybody's got a story like that. And thank you for agitating my cranium to bring that back up. Yeah, those those are always my favorite. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to? when you have the opportunity to take a night off and just enjoy a game? Well, I hate to say, I really don't have a chance to listen to the individuals. 
But growing up, I can tell you, Tony Roberts, longtime Notre Dame announcer, uh, grew up listening to Don Fisher. Uh, and then like you, once you got into this is what you want to do, it was, you know, start scanning the dial and listen to as many people as possible. And some of the best broadcasters I've heard are at the Division Three level, especially when you got to the Plains area. When you listen to some of the broadcasts in Nebraska, you know, a good friend of mine, Jason Jorgensen, is, does a hell of a job at the high school level in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and I put him on the same level and put you on the same level as those guys who were very fortunate to be sitting in those multi-million dollar press boxes and calling games for the big schools. But I think anybody, I'll listen to anybody, high school, all the way up to professional levels, because you're always listening to find out what their style is. And as I always tell the students, it's like, be innovative, but be an individual, you know, be yourself. Don't be a copycat. And that's one of the things that when I got into the industry, I was relying on my experiences of listening to those announcers until you fall into your own pattern. And that's you, that's your DNA. Do you miss being able to actually call games at this point in your career where you've kind of mostly left that behind to work on consulting and, and teaching? I do. You know, we still cover the game, so it's more of a post-game thing, but there's nothing like, you know, calling a game and, you know, just my experiences in the Missouri Valley Conference of calling baseball championships where it's going down to the final strike and you know that individuals are hanging on every word that you're saying terrestrially on the radio station or the micro transmitter that we used to use on the road so our fans on the road could hear or over the internet and just knowing that you're that gatekeeper, the connection, that's the one thing I really miss is when I was at Evansville, you know, baseball was a big sport that we did because a lot of the players were local and a lot of the parents we got to know. And then of course, with the internet, you know, the parents would come up and, and just thank us or, you know, we would be out at an away game and they would see us at a restaurant and want to spend time to get to know us. I missed that connection. And that's the, the biggest thing I, I miss right now uh, because I know calling a game at Notre Dame Stadium is kind of tough because our press box is on the east side. And when we called a game last week, you're staring directly into the sun and the booth is on the 10-yard line. So it's kind of a tough place to call a game. Do you think that right now, with the sportscasting landscape the way it is, that it is easier or harder to make a living as primarily a sportscaster, obviously having other responsibilities alongside that, as compared just because a lot of the entry level positions at traditional uh, places are getting cut on overnights and things like that. But at the same time, there's more with the internet, more ways to kind of make your own opportunity. Do you see, what are some of the, the pros and cons of each? Well, Logan, let me ask you that question because when I was teaching, especially at the University of Evansville, I would get a phone call or I would talk to a parent or a prospective student's parent and they would say, you know, what's the, the job placement? And I say 100%. It's up to your son or daughter in terms of if they get it. There's always a job for a qualified individual. We will do everything it takes to give them the foundation to help them. But now here's that entrepreneurial that comes into play. You know, I can't do it for you. 
So the individuals that we see are the individuals who are the survivors. We're the cockroaches of the world. We stuck with this industry. As I said, I have a lot of students who are very successful, but they've gone into other ventures. One of the most talented broadcasters is now selling real estate. That's what he loves to do. Would he like to do a game? Yes, but he knew that he didn't want to make the commitment full-time to raise a family. He would have to find uh, a, a more effective means of, of you know, generating income. But it's the individuals who have stuck in this industry, they're survivors. There might be talented guys who are watching television on a Saturday afternoon who said, I can do that, but you know what? They're not doing it. The individual who is cutting their teeth and is sacrificing and doing what it takes to follow their dream and goal are the individuals that I admire. And if they stick with it, you know, sometimes you're going to get a break and, you know, there's a little serendipity, there's a little faith, there's a little bit of everything. But if at least when you're calling the games, there's more of an opportunity for you to get your dream job as opposed to wishing about it. How would somebody reach out to ask you a question or ask for advice if they wanted to do so? I would say go to the Say the Damn Scores website and Facebook page where you'll post it and they can contact me and we can connect. But I'd love to talk about anybody who just wants to talk about the industry or some of the technologies that they're experimenting with or if they're interested in DISC. Because that's the one thing. I don't want people to be one-dimensional. I don't want to say that I am just a play-by-play announcer. I hope that we can work with them to give them the skills that could say, hey, that's my passion. That's what I would like to do. But I can also help a prospective client or an organization that I'm working for because I have skills that ultimately will lead into making that broadcast possible. Once again, we are visiting with Len Clark, the uh, former voice of the Evansville Aces. He's been a broadcast professor, teacher all over the country, and right now the owner of LTC Media. Len, thanks so much for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast. And as we always say, keep saying the score. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. And remember, iTunes reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is greatly appreciated, and it helps me make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests on this show so they can know you appreciate them taking the time to share their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.